Let me introduce you. Let me introduce you. New week, new movie, new theme. Hello, welcome to Let Me Introduce You, film podcast where three close friends from film school introduce their favorites to each other, where at least one of us hasn't seen it. I'm one of your hosts, Graham. I am Katie. I am also one of your hosts. Yeah. And rounding out your host trio, I am Ashley. Yes, that's us. Here we are. And it's... For full transparency, we are recording this in early October. We realized that the election has happened. So hopefully this is a celebratory oh, God. time for us to be listening to podcasts and not worrying about any uh, four more years of bullshit. God, I hope <laughs> so. so. It's, it's, the correct term is fascism. fascism or at least yes. I hope that future us know who the president is because I'm so worried it's going to take like a yes. week. Yes. No, it's going to take a while. Or it's longer take than a that. while. So we're we're starting a new theme, our third theme of our series, and it's politics. Uh, politics. Politics. <laughs> politics. Everything is political, okay? Everything is political. And this week is my choice. We are talking about one of the, in my opinion, one of the greatest comedies of the late 90s, an underrated, uh, underappreciated gem, Andrew Fleming's Dick starring Kirsten Dunst and Michelle Williams. And to kind of get us started, Katie, yes. this is the first time you've seen it. I believe you've just finished watching it. Yes, about like half an hour ago. So heads up, if you're trying to Google dick movie mm-hmm. or dick streaming, <laughs> just be careful. Or not, that, or not enjoy it. Go or it. Have, have a good time. <laughs> have a good time. Just like it's gonna, it's gonna skew your algorithm moving forward. But. <laughs> yes, skew, skew away. Uh, and, Ash- <laughs> and Ashley, you have seen this, so this is something that you're, you're very aware of. Yes, I also just finished watching it about an hour ago. Wow. <laughs> I was a little late this week. We just had yeah. a lot going on. So. We're staying fresh. You guys We're just, fresh. Um, you're not committed to our schedule, and that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> we just like, you know, we just like don't care about your Life movies happens. as much. It's fine. Life happens. It's fine. I mean, mine are pretty easy breezy. So <laughs> they, this was. If, if you don't talk about them uh, quickly, they, they kind of leave your brain. Except this one, I think. I think this one's awesome. Katie, so let's get a rundown of the plot, and then we can talk about the wonder that is Dick. Dive into Dick. Mm-hmm. There's going to be a lot of dumb, so, dumb jokes. I'm so excited for all the dick jokes we're going God. to be making today. We are um, 36. Yes. <laughs> so let's talk about Dick. <laughs> dick opens with two teenage best friends, Betsy and Arlene, having a sleepover in the Watergate Hotel where Arlene lives with her mom. They sneak out of the hotel to mail a fan letter to Bobby Sherman, a teen idol at the time, and on their way back, they stumble across G. Gordon Liddy, played by the incomparable Harry Shear, in the hallway of the same hotel. Meanwhile, a security guard notices a door left open by the girls, and thinking there's a heist, calls the cops, inadvertently interrupting the burglars robbing the Democratic election office that same night. The next day, Betsy and Arlene are on a tour of the White House, and are noticed by Liddy, who brings them to the attention of H.R. Halderman, played by the amazing Dave Foley who tries to interrogate them, suspecting them of something. Then the true star of the movie, Checkers, runs in, and the girls immediately fall in love with the president's dog. Nixon, thinking the girls might know about the heist at Watergate, 
offers the girls the official position of White House dog walkers, hoping to keep an eye on them. The girls, in their acting duty and reverence to the president, bake cookies mixed with pot and become White House favorites across the board, obviously, especially by the president himself. These cookies wind up influencing major political events. The president, meanwhile, becomes increasingly paranoid, obviously, and makes the girls members of his special youth advisors. Meanwhile, Betsy has fallen head over heels for Dick Nixon himself, and while recording a very long love letter to him on his own personal recording, she plays back the tape to discover that Nixon has been recording all of his conversations. She learns he is a liar, and he hates he a, Jews. He has a potty and he mouth, has a potty too. mouth, mm-hmm. and he's kicked the beloved checkers. When they confront Nixon, he fires them. So... Nixon then proceeds to bug their phones and do a bunch of Nixon shit. So the girls approach Washington Post journalists Woodward and Bernstein. Back when they were still good reporters. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And they take on the name, dun dun dun, Deep Throat, to instigate the entire Watergate scandal and become unwitting masterminds behind the whole thing. And the movie's mm. ended with Dick Nixon has resigned the presidency and they put up a big sign on the roof and make these fabulous outfits and it says, you suck, comma, dick. Mm-hmm. The end. To the tune of You're So Vain. Oh my God, the soundtrack fantastic. in this Perfect. entire movie. Yes, yes. So excellent, Katie. Thank you. So uh, you just watched it. It's very fresh. Kind of give me your, your initial thoughts of, of this movie. So I thought it was fun. I thought it was funny. I love the cast. It's got all of these people from SNL and all of these people from Kids in the Hall that I absolutely love. It's got a banging soundtrack. The outfits were so much fun. Woodward and Bernstein, like Will Ferrell and Bruce McCullough's dynamic is probably my favorite out of the whole movie. Like Will Ferrell is perfect in this. But aside from that, I was kind of hoping it would be funnier. I felt like Michelle Williams and Kirsten Dunst had one note jokes, mostly the whole movie. And I was kind of hoping that their comedy would elevate beyond how they were originally introduced as like, quote unquote, the smart one and quote unquote, the idiot. But overall, like I thought, I thought it was fun. I thought that there are movies out there that do what this movie was trying to do better. Mm. But I really, yeah, I thought I thought it was fun. It was it was a relaxing movie to watch on a Sunday. What do you think does it better? This reminded me of a lot of like Romy Michelle's High School Reunion. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, like, like big colors. Yeah, big flighty, colors. Yeah. fun outfits. Two protagonists that are kind of fish out of water or put in a situation that they normally wouldn't be. I was just kind of hoping that the jokes on their end would be a bit more Mm because most of the jokes that I was laughing at were like of the real comedians of like Will Ferrell or of like Anna Gostar was freaking fantastic in her small bit part. I was also kind of hoping that Dan Hedaya. Dan Hedaya, who plays Richard Nixon. Yes, I love Dan Hedaya. I was kind of hoping his jokes would be a bit funnier, but it felt like it was like towing the line of a great classic movie without actually getting there so actually how was this received was it popular did it do well so this was a huge bomb when it (laughs) it came out so this was released in august of 1999 and 
when it was released, it was met with really, really great reviews. I think people were like, this is a, this is a gem. This is one that you should go check out. I think the problem here is that who do you market this movie to? Is I was it, thinking is that it too. to teenagers or is it to people who are interested in American history who who went through Watergate? So when it was released, it was released the same weekend as The Sixth Sense, which we all know how that oh, ended well. up going yeah. and the thomas crown affair which was also a big hit at the time and the blair witch was out so it was dwarfed by a lot of things it opened to number 12 at the box office Ooh, to 2.2 million dollars and ended up closing about four weeks later with 6.3 million dollars and it really at that time was was like okay this is a bomb but when it was released on video december of that year it kind of became something that people began to to kind of gravitate towards because it was released around the same time that Kirsten Dunst's other 99 film Drop Dead Gorgeous was oh released God. on video so and they released within like two weeks of each other so both in theaters and on video so it's like oh if you want to get have a Kirsten Dunst night rent these two movies and then Dick kind of throughout the years, I think, has really grown in a lot of appreciation. So, so Dick has grown? Okay. Dick has grown. Yeah, yeah. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I'm so ready for this. This is like my calling. Dick was limp. Dick oh. was limp when it came out, and now it's, it's, now it's very grown. much grown. Everybody's got a hand on Dick. <laughs> Put me but in that, jail. That was... <laughs> so that was my exact same thought, too. That was one of my first notes. I was like, this is a strange premise slash concept for a teen movie because usually when you make teen movies you make things that teens can relate to so like school dances or dating trouble or whatever so having the watergate scandal be the focus of a teen comedy i i had that same thought i was like who is this movie for so I see this happening in young adult literature a lot where people will write a teenage protagonist and they'll be into like all this music from the 80s or whatever. And like they're this, they're such a unique kid or whatever. And you're like, dude, you're clearly writing this like that was the shit that you loved back as a teen. But you're trying to place it in today's time, but make the teen seem retro. And this is why people are in in one regard kind of fucking up. YA literature because now it's it's marketed so much to adults and it's like it's for mm. fucking teens you know so I can see I don't remember seeing this in the theaters when it, but I remember watching it as a teenager when we were what like 15 or something at the time and thinking it was funny I mean Dawson's Creek had been out for a couple of years so like Michelle Williams was you know a big deal and Kirsten Dunst had just been in what feels like everything but I got to say this time around, I don't know if it's just because I woke up at 530 this morning and never fell back asleep and I'm just exhausted, but it just, it didn't hit the same for me, but I think I also didn't necessarily have the same level of nostalgia that you have for it, Graham. Mm -hmm. And I think that is, that's something that's really key and also something that I really like about talking about films with both of you because we're really getting to see like you know we've known each other for so long but we're really getting to know like what were those formative films and how did that influence you and how did you become like the friend that I met at first you know and like yeah. revealing more of those things like oh yeah that totally makes sense why you like this even if I didn't super love it 
I love like what it's revealing about the both of you. Yeah, Graham, why did you pick this movie? Like, what does this movie mean to you? I was and still am pretty obsessed with this movie. <laughs> I saw it twice in the theaters in the span that it was open, so like a few weeks. <laughs> and I, I remember reading the reviews. I, I just loved Kirsten Dunst at that time. I mean, she was really, she was it. huge. She went from. She did Small Soldiers, then Drop Dead Gorgeous, oh, God, then Dick. Soldiers. And then the following year, she did Virgin Suicides and Bring It On. I mean, this oh, was like her. Yeah. To this day, I love her. I love everything she's done since. I think she's an amazing actress. But I just loved kind of following her career because I felt like she was doing things that weren't typical of like a teen actress at that time. She was t- mm-hmm. taking risks. And I also loved Dawson's Creek, and I thought Michelle Williams was great. And she was so serious on Dawson's Creek, and that show mm-hmm. was serious. And the previews made it look so fun. And there was always this thing when I was younger of, if I saw a movie that was well-reviewed and bombing, I was like, I have to go support this, or else I'm not going to make anything like it. Oh, my God. That's so <laughs> And nice. I remember going to buy tickets to see it, and I was like, can I have one for <clears throat> Dick, please? <laughs> <laughs> and I went by myself, because nobody would go see it with me. And I was just like, this one this like 16-year-old, like, pre-gay watching dick in, in the theaters. <laughs> and I just, there was something about, like, like Katie, your, your point, like, the bright colors, the the humor. I was really obsessed with the 70s at that time. Because I think the 70s was really having this, like, comeback at the, in the end of the 90s as well. Mm-hmm. And also, I loved The Craft, which was oh directed God, yeah. by Andrew Fleming, who directed this movie. Oh, and, that's so, I didn't know also, that. Yeah, so... The backstory on, on Andrew Fleming was that he he's a gay, obviously, and his career began in horror, actually, Katie, with a film called Bad Dreams, which came out in 1988. Hmm. Have you heard of it? No, I don't know. I've never seen that one. So in my research, it seemed like it was almost a, a knockoff of Nightmare on Elm Street. Mm. Sounds like it. But Title sounds like it, yeah. But it was produced by Gail Ann Hurd, who, who, I love. who I produced saw, this. I yeah. saw that she produced this, and I was like, yay! Yeah, Ashley, you are who she is? No, you two are such nerds. So, I love it. So first of all, she's a, she's a pretty pretty prolific film producer, and she was married for a time to James Cameron. She, she wrote Terminator. She produced it, produced The Abyss. Oh, shit. She produced Aliens, and, and all Ooh. of her credits are, are sci-fi and, and horror and, and all this, like, terror, and, and this. This is, like, her sole comedy. <laughs> so it's almost like she was producing this to, like, help Andrew Fleming out, I, I'm thinking. But he did a film called Threesome, which was released in 94, which was the, my first time seeing a gay guy in a movie, mm. which is about this trio who lived together on a college campus and in a dorm and it's Josh Charles and Stephen Baldwin and Laura Flynn Boyle and there's like gay stuff in it and it was the first time I ever really like saw it so there's something about following his career Mm -hmm. that came from that and the craft is the craft it's fucking awesome the craft is wonderful and this was his follow up Andrew Fleming now produced and directed the new Netflix series, Emily in Paris, <laughs> which, oh. which we watched last night. So he hasn't really done, like, a, he's done a lot of TV since then. But yeah, this, this film, just the, the colors and the writing, I thought the humor was just on point. I loved the relationship between Arlene and Betsy in this movie. Yeah. I think it's two characters that are just the best of friends, and you can tell they are. I was really happy that you didn't have the usual trope of them having a fight and 
breaking up and being like on their own, they kind of stick together. Even when Betsy learns of Arlene's crush on Dick Nixon, which is super gross and it's weird. It's super gross. Oh my God, so weird. Well, so, so I guess like, like, can we talk briefly? So Arlene is Michelle Williams and she lives with a single mom, Terry Gar. I love oh. Terry Gar. In the Watergate, it seems like she's the type that that just gets these crushes. She begins with a crush on Bobby Sherman at the beginning, and she's very, like, almost, like, dressed in, like, 60s type of clothing. And then she falls in love with Richard Nixon and even decorates her her entire wallet. She's definitely, like, the one who who wants to love and be loved. Mm -hmm. And... Betsy. I don't identify with that at all, guys. Not at all. <laughs> I was never like that as a teen. I was not at all reminiscing on yeah. how hard I would crush. Betsy, as Kirsten Dunst, is is like the the, the kookier one who is comes from a very wealthy Georgetown family, and but they're they're the best of friends. So, who were your crushes, like your celebrity crushes? Oh my god! When That's you were around this question. age, yeah. Because I was thinking, I'm like, okay, so I know that eventually we'll talk about teen movies around this time. But we were all kind of teenagers when this movie came out, or like ninth grade, ninth yeah. or tenth grade. Yeah, it was before tenth. Yes, yeah, tenth grade. Right. Yeah, yeah. Right before tenth grade. So we would have all been teenagers around when this movie came out, and I was, you know, I kind of want to know who your celebrity crushes were at the time. Oh my God, that's a great question. <laughs> that is a really good question, and I wish I could remember. And I think this is indicative of how quickly I would cycle through crushes like I loved crushes loved mm-hmm. because it's all about possibility and it's also about crafting a narrative that <laughs> the life that you want and <laughs> as a very young undiagnosed depressed kid I just wanted to create my own narratives all the time and I wanted to <laughs> feel really good yeah but I think mine were like pretty run-of-the-mill earlier bef- well before 15 I think I was like oh my god Jonathan Taylor Thomas and <laughs> like why was got- everybody so into him I don't GTT. Know. I didn't so here's the thing I didn't like him when his hair was long everybody Mm-mm. was like oh, JTT's long hair once he cut it then I was like "Ooh, all right JTT what's up did I ever tell you no. that I met him? No. I did. No. So, okay, well, I didn't really. Jonathan White? I didn't really meet him, but I did see him. So, <laughs> we were in New okay, York. Yeah, then I met Ryan Gosling when yeah. he was drunk <laughs> so, at a bar we were, in Silver Lake. We were doing a, a trip to New York uh, with the family, and the whole trip I was like making, I was like, oh, guys, do you see that celebrity over there? There's Roseanne. There's that person. Everyone's like, quit faking us out. Like, you're lying. There's no celebrities <laughs> anywhere. And we were having lunch at Tavern on the Green. And I turned to the left, and in walks JTT and Devin Sawa. Oh, my God. I love Devin Sawa. They were promoting that movie Wild America, if anyone remembers it. Mm -hmm. There was a third guy, Scott Baristow. The less said about him, the better. He's a bad man. Mm. Look him up. But I turn, I go, guys, Jonathan Taylor Thomas is here. And my sisters are like, fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) Quit lying quit lying and then they walk by and my sister goes oh my god <laughs> i told you and they look they looked back at her as she screamed like, oh my god <laughs> you're embarrassed now but so I, yeah. you're a teen heartthrob yeah but there was like all the guys with long hair i couldn't stand it i liked i liked a well-cropped man so who was yours who was yours graham i at that time i was kind of battling with whether or not i was gay so i was like i like you know, 
Jen- Jennifer Aniston. Like, that's my crush, <laughs> right? But it was really, like, Jerry Maguire-era Tom Cruise. <laughs> nice. I was like, uh, that era Tom Cruise, he's absolutely insane now. But there's also <laughs> this Canadian actor named Kevin Zeggers that I was really into. He was an Air Bud. Oh, my God, Air Bud. But he became, like, a, he still has a very attractive man. And he's Canadian, which is, hello. That's, that's great. Come sit here, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Tom Cruise, Jerry Maguire. Yep, that, that was a good, that was a good era. That I was feel good era. like, you know what's funny is I distinctly remember in eighth grade everyone having a crush on Prince William, right? And uh, like, no, not Prince for me. Prince William is not so handsome. And not I can't remember if I thought he was, but I do remember being disappointed at how much he ended up looking like his father oh my god and <laughs> prince harry i'm like hello i know i always like <laughs> prince harry more yeah okay so here's the thing is as a redhead <laughs> not into other redheads right because it's just like i also have a brother who's redhead it's just like a little too familial it's just a little like <laughs> i just i don't want to fuck my family members that's weird right but harry he can get it now i was like yeah i like yeah him. he can go for it <laughs> he might be into it All, like you know <sighs> I'm sorry. No, I just visibly shuddered. (laughs) Well, bringing it back around, speaking of fucking your family members, I kept waiting for Dick Nixon to be Michelle Williams' dad because you have the open part where Kirsten Dunst is like, you don't know who your dad is, and then you're going to fall in love with someone, and then you're going to find out your brother, and that's incest, and that's wrong. Or that's illegal. It's, it's, it's called incest, Darlene, and it's against the law. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so I was like, okay, I'm waiting for Dick Nixon to be to be the dad. And then yeah. when it's revealed that he's not, I was like, oh, that's like a missed opportunity. Yeah. What happened? To circle back to their friendship, though, you know, I I, I love that there there wasn't a conflict between them. And, mm-hmm. and when Betsy discovers that Arlene is in love with, with Dick, she's supportive. She's like, you have to tell him. Mm-hmm. I support you. She's not and, judging. And I think one one scene that I love in this that that fully describes their relationship is after they get in trouble uh, for for leaving the field trip at the White House where they meet Nixon and they come back to the the bus and the teacher's like because of you we can't go to McDonald's. <laughs> there's that great line where they go we really met the president and the teacher's like every lie is a brick in the pathway to hell. <laughs> Great. And they're walking back to their seats in the in the bus, and all the kids are like giving them the finger, and they're so mad. And they sit down; they couldn't give a shit. They're laughing, mm-hmm. and then it transfers to them just skipping all around Georgetown, <laughs> and the soundtrack is like la 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 la, <laughs> and it's like they just didn't care. They were living in this like wonderful bubble of their friendship and just their love for each other. When you have the moment where they find out the name of the porn movie that Kirsten Dunst's brother saw, and she has to explain what Deep Throat means to Michelle Williams, and then they both just scream out the window, I was like, that seems like a very authentic friendship. Well, so I guess... It's also so pure, right? It's so pure. I will say, that's one thing that I've noticed has changed a lot in the last 20, 30 years. At least, like, my experience growing up, I was very much a late bloomer. In in my mind, I was a late bloomer. Like, I didn't get my first kiss until I was 16. And so seeing something like that, I, I think at the time I felt, like, comfortable. Boys didn't like me and whatever else. And seeing this really pure friendship. And now, I mean, that is one teen experience, right? And there are so many different teen experiences. But I see a lot of teen experiences as being portrayed as like having sex and Mm -hmm. drinking and doing drugs and whatever and I not that there aren't like a variety of them but I like seeing a wide variety of teen experiences because 
there really and truly are. And mm-hmm. teens deserve to see themselves on screen in a variety of ways. Yeah, absolutely. They're they're playing. It's almost like they're younger than fifteen, almost mm-hmm. the 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 way they're portraying it. And and just to know, like Kirsten Dunst was sixteen, and I think Michelle Williams was eighteen, and the way they're act, like they they understand that character mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. well. Like they do it in a way of someone playing it who could playing much older, right? Like somebody who's older playing a younger character with that kind mm-hmm. of understanding. I'm kind of, kind of curious. Did you all have? Did you have a Betsy and Arlene, like that kind of, uh, does this kind of emblematic of the friendships that you had with other girls at that time? So I've had the same best friend. I met her in kindergarten. Others besides us. Besides you. Yeah. But yes, I I met her in kindergarten. You both have met her and she's fantastic. Her name's Colleen. And we... We've more than met her. We've bonded deeply. We love Colleen. Yes. She's wonderful. Even though she's competition for your love. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, the but Graham, like, part... we wouldn't win, let's be honest. Like, I know we wouldn't, it's fine. Got an age six, like, <laughs> yeah, 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 you yeah. and I are vying, we're just constantly vying for number two, right? I know. I'll be, I'll be number two. You guys are number I'll, two. We can tie for No, I meant two. you and I are, are like, Oh, yeah, we're number two. two. <laughs> I, think, I think, yes, I think because of our trio, like, we just, we yeah. both stay at number two. We yeah, don't fight with any each other. Yeah. We don't have to fight Katie for her love of both of us, because it's no, just No, never, never. But and if we did, Ashley, you'd win. <laughs> Only oh. because Katie and I have the breast friends. Yes. Up. Yes. Uh, so to get some if you just want to get some really huge tits, <laughs> then like it would just be. If that's all I need to do, I'll just stuff yeah. some t-shirts in this in my shirt right now. Yeah. We can yeah. chip in. What are those things called? Like, and just get you one. Boobs for queens. Yes. Thank you. <gasps> we if you want to just, you know, Holly Graham just wants yes, like a nice my, set. My drag persona, so. Holly Graham. So Colleen and I met when we were in kindergarten and, you know, I moved towns. So I moved one town away. So we hadn't gone to school together since like fourth grade. But throughout all that time, we stayed best friends and we were kind of like these inseparable tomboys. And she's she's like, you know, I don't have any sisters, but she is the closest that I have to a sister. And, you know, we'd go, she'd come with us on family vacations and I'd go with her family and do stuff. And so we were inseparable and have remained that way now that we live on different coasts. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, we could be weird together. And we would like, we would go through phases where we would make a lot of hemp jewelry or we would, you know, we both right now, we both are big like knitters or we both do a lot of embroidery. For the last like 10 years... We've gotten each other the same Christmas gift. Shut accidentally. up. Mm-hmm. I didn't know so, that. Yeah, it was either like we both would get each other the same cookbook or we both would get each other a set of earrings and a scarf or we would both Cute. like get each other some craft. Like we've got each other the same gift for like a decade straight. It's very odd, but it happens every year, like without planning. That's so, awesome. yes, she's awesome. And you've got you. You, you've got your Arlene slash Betsy. That's I sure awesome. do. I don't know which one each of us would be. Neither of us are. You don't have to be. I don't think yeah. you're either of them. <laughs> I don't think so either. So I have had one person who's my, my friend the longest. And we were like closer when we were little kids because our moms are best friends. But I went through this weird thing in high school where I would become super close friends and become like a best friend with somebody and then they would move away at the end of the year so my i can't i can't remember like the total order but yeah i had like my friend lauren and i my like sophomore year of high school we were just like inseparable 
and then her family moved away. Mm. And the next year was super close with my friend Bess. And then she was a year older and then graduated. And then her parents were like, okay, we're out, you know? And so couldn't see that. And so I feel like sometimes I kind of rotate through, but like, I'm still friends with Lauren to this day. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think what's indicative of a lot of my closest friendships. And I think that's true of us is that we don't have to talk constantly. Like because we connect on a deeper level, we don't need that. Like, we have maintenance in, like, we're talking to each other, but you don't have that constant upkeep of your friendship of, like, but are we still friends or what's going on or whatever else. Like, we can have time apart, and then we come back together, and it's like, oh, my God, yes. Mm. You know? And so I think think that's what's at least indicative of my my closest or deepest relationships is that, like, connecting on, like, a soul Mm. level. Mm. Graham, what about you? I did not. I, I didn't really have lots of close friendships in high school. I think I was, it was almost a protective measure mm. because I went to Catholic high school. I, I knew I was a bit different from the rest of the kids. It was a pretty conservative place. I had friends that I was, you know, I'd hang out with them, but I didn't have like a go-to person that I could talk about anything with. Mm-hmm. That's why like high, in college it was like, uh, yay, people have <laughs> yeah. talk. And that's why like I love this movie so much is, is almost, I wanted I wanted a friendship like that, right? Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, there are definitely people from high school that, that are still in my life. I think like just like well, two or three people. It just wasn't something that I necessarily wanted at that time, actually. Colleen and I did go to a lot of roller rinks. So like roller rinks oh my God. at this time in like 1999 were a big thing. We had a big roller rink a couple towns over that we'd go to all the time. We, you know, where all the birthday parties were. So as I was watching the roller rink scene, I'm like, oh my God, I did that. Yeah. Oh, I love roller rinks. Yes. Me too. Let's talk about Watergate because I Sure. Did not at the time I had no I knew that I knew what Watergate was in theory before I saw this movie. But then I was like, oh, it's a building? Oh. (laughs) And I heard about certain things. Yeah, I had heard eighteen and a half minute tape or something like that. And so what's kind of fun about this movie is is the way that it, it takes what those fundamental things that people remember about Watergate and flips mm-hmm. them on their head. And so this movie began not about this at all. Oh. So Andrew Fleming wrote this with someone named Cheryl Langen. And they were going to do a film about the 1970s, about a, a mom and her kids going through all of these, basically all the crazy stuff that happened in the 70s with, with politics, with counterculturalism, with all of that. And they kept going back to the teenage daughter and her relationship with her friend and said, what can we do with these two characters? And then one of the writers said, let's just make them deep throat. (laughs) And they said, that's it. That's what we're going to do. And so the writer, Cheryl actually had an experience with Nixon. So when they were young, she was at a hotel, the same hotel that they, that Nixon stayed at. And at one point, they saw Nixon and just started throwing ice cubes at him. <laughs> what? And so she had this, like, memory of being young and seeing Nixon and just, like, kind of being mischievous with him. <laughs> and so they said, that's it. We're going to do something with Nixon. We're going to make them deep throat. And Fleming was really annoyed about how they were trying to rehabilitate Nixon's image post-Watergate. He's like, no, he's going to pay for this. We have to show him as a buffoon. <laughs> and so... In the production of this, people thought that they were going too far with some of the gags, and he Hmm. really fought to keep all of these 
gags in the movie to really show just like what a nincompoop this guy was. <laughs> I mean, just to like get serious and political for a second, like you see how much this is happening even now, right? Oh, George W. Bush just does all these portraits oh, and has become such friends with immigrants. Right? Fuck you, man. You're a goddamn war criminal. Look you at know? him getting like, Michelle Obama candy. I go, fuck you. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, excuse me? You yeah. started a war and like yeah. also, you know, like... And so I think it's also, obviously, we're technically when this is going to be released, we're back in time, right? That's how recording it all works. But someone was joking recently. So like, what was it? Just a couple of days ago, like it came out that, you know, Donnie, he's got he's got COVID, right? And they're talking about the timeline. And somebody on Twitter made the correlation to like the 18 and a half minutes and... I just wanted to be like, well, you can't lie because it's not a it's not a teenage girl confessing her love for you, you know. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> in the, movie, the timeline, doctor. So yeah. in the movie, the eighteen and a half minute tape is so in the whole Watergate, there was this tape that had eighteen and a half minutes that was blank, like nobody knew it was nobody knew what was on this tape. The movie has it be Arlene professing her love for Dick Nixon. <laughs> Singing, singing, yeah. singing Olivia Newton-John's "Love You," honestly <laughs> love you. you, and it's I love that I love when Betsy Kirsten Dunst comes back from walking the dog. She goes, "You've been talking for eighteen and a half minutes." <laughs> so perfect. <laughs> I love the line also where they pick up the creep list and because it's on G. Gordon Liddy's shoes, mm-hmm. and they pick it up. I go, "What's a creep list?" and goes I give I, I don't know but I bet everybody on that list are creeps <laughs> <laughs> and they just say souvenir and they <laughs> I thought it was fun I like I like how they interjected little bits of history and kind of made it easy to understand because you know if you watch this and you don't know what the Watergate scandal is or you don't know that much about Nixon or you don't know anything yeah. about that they kind of keep it these these tight little points and the narrative arc, you know, makes sense without having to go into extraneous detail or have to do anything crazy. You still kind of get Nixon was a bad person and these two people outed it and something with deep throat and he's not president yeah. anymore. So it kept it at a baseline without being like a treatise on yeah. Watergate. Yeah. Like you didn't have a lot of unnecessary exposition. Yeah. There's a lot of great montages too. The one where, they give him the peace sign. He goes, what's that? Because that means <laughs> yeah. peace. And then there's that iconic image of him putting the At double the peace sign up. Yep, yep, yep. I just love how they solve so many problems with those cookies that they inadvertently baked with with pot because of her brother's hiding the pot in the walnuts. I want to have those hello dollies. I know they <laughs> sounded really good. And I, I, at the end of the movie, I kept thinking, like, I kept thinking to myself, man, it's amazing what like two girls who really love cookies can do. Yeah. And I thought it was great. Cause I, cookie time again. I know, I was gonna say, cookie, cookie time again. It's coming back. This cast, as you mentioned, Katie, is is crazy. Yes. You've got, beyond the people that we've mentioned, there's a bunch of Kids in the Hall people as well as SNL. You know, you've got, um, hold on, as you mentioned, Will Ferrell, Bruce McCulloch, Harry Shear, Jim mm-hmm. Brewer. Jim Brewer. I know! Sal Rubinek. Who plays Dave Foley? Dave Foley has called him in. Ryan Reynolds at the very that, end. God. That was very surprising. I was like, he looks like such a he's baby. A, he's a little baby. Mm-hmm. He's this like little skinny thing. It's just before he became this like buff, buff guy. That man just like never looks bad. Just, right. Mm. No. And... 
I, I love how each of them have like a particular moment where they really kind of have this awesome comedic moment. Even Jim Brewer as J- John Dean, mm-hmm. when they leave at the end after discovering that, that Nixon's this bad man and John Dean's like, please don't leave. Like he didn't mean to say those things to you. And they said, if you stay, you're just as bad as he is. And they run away. And then Jim just has this like quiet moment and just starts crying <laughs> his reaction shot yeah i i it noticed that great. as well i was like great. oh my god that was such a perfect little acting moment from yeah. jim brewer so like i said my favorite performances in the movie were will ferrell and bruce mccullough because will ferrell's little like faces and just like don't touch me and there's a kids in the hall joke that i was watching and i was like yes he says bruce mccullough smells like cabbage and that's yes. all back to yes. his kids in the hall and i was like yay and bruce mccullough with that wig on mm-hmm. and he would just oh like God, gently that. he would gently like flick his hair it was so perfect i, I love their dynamic me too i wonder how close to reality that is with the relationship between woodward and bernstein but so great i was wondering speaking of relationships too i wonder why they never worked together again because they were so funny like so funny. their their dynamic was so good i was like oh man i wish i wish i would have seen those two actors mm-hmm. in something else because i thought they were so funny yeah you mentioned anna gostier yes. as nixon's secretary she has one of my favorite lines in the entire movie <laughs> that I used to have as an, an uh, aim away message. And it was oh the girls, the girls say checkers pooped. And she goes, the president's dog doesn't poop. He does his business. <laughs> I wrote that down too. I love that. I love I how you she... could also like, if we hadn't told you how old we were, you could clock us within a couple of years by saying, I use this as an aim away message. Yes, I remember. <laughs> right. I was like, I'm going to put something deep up this quote from Dick. (laughs) (laughs) I love the clothes in this as well. Katie, you mentioned the end. They make an outfit out of the the flag. I think it's okay if you sew it back together. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But all the other clothes, interestingly enough, were never worn clothes from the 1970s. The the costume designer found this warehouse and just took all these clothes. So all of that is from the 70s, never before worn. See, that was oh. my, my first thought, because I was like, the 60s and 70s were having a revival moment in the late 90s. You know, I remember, you know, there's there, there were lots of, like, peace sign jewelry and the yin-yang and the smile. It was freaking everywhere. flipping through the Delia's catalog. Yes, and just yes. Circling All so much stuff. of it, and your mom saying, I used to wear those. I should have kept my <laughs> bell-bottoms. Yeah. But the funny thing was, at first, I was like, oh, these are going to be, like, 90s interpretations of the 70s and then as I'm watching it more I was like no this actually feels like I know what the 70s were like I wasn't there but it felt more authentic and so learning that I'm like oh that's really that's really cool to know I did love the costumes and the 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 wardrobe in this a lot I think that also goes to show that like there are so many so many important roles when you're making a film you know I mean it is truly a collaborative effort and there are things that can that can really draw you in. And so having that, like, such authentic clothing from that time period is just, like, you were instantly there. You didn't have to think about it. Your brain didn't have to do any, like, oh, I'll accept this because it's the world of the film. Like, you're in, you're there. It's mm-hmm. great. I thought also with Arlene Michelle Williams' character, her, her clothing kind of changes throughout yeah. the movie, almost based on who her crush is. So yes. Bobby Sherman, like, you know, kind of like a square singer. She's wearing more square clothes. And then with when she's 
gets into Richard Nixon. It's it's a bit more professional. And then at the end, there's a throwaway line that she's into, I think, Aerosmith. And she's wearing, like, a leather jacket. You know? <laughs> so it's just, she, I love, like, those, that's, like, super subtle. But we knew people who would get crushes or, or be obsessed with a particular artist or musician and then dress or, or kind of look like them. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. I, I, I really liked... You know, there there wasn't a, a quote unquote makeover montage or anything, but as she's changing her look in that scene with her trying to put the contact lens in yes, a few times. Yes. In any other movie, I would have been like, you stick the contact lens in and it stays. I like seeing her go through trying to get it. Right, right. It is. I, I think Michelle Williams is so wonderful in yeah. this movie. I think she. I mean, Kirsten Dunst is great, but Michelle Williams is really funny and heartfelt. Mm-hmm. I love that scene. I love the the. The scene after she gets the contacts in, Katie, when Kirsten's like, something looks different about you. <laughs> and she goes, I got contact lenses. And the joy that they both feel for each other for her getting contact lenses. But I think and Michelle says Williams, contact lenses. Like, says the yes. whole thing. Mm-hmm. Right? I got contact lenses. <laughs> but she is an underrated, funny act. She's very funny. She, she yep. Did anyone see I Feel Pretty with Amy uh-uh. Schumer? Yes. No. You saw it? So she's in that movie, Katie. Surprisingly, I didn't even realize she was in it. And she's this hilarious character. <laughs> she puts on this very amusing voice, this like high pitched voice. <laughs> but she can be incredibly funny. And I, I love I love the work that Michelle Williams does. I think she's a fantastic actress. Yeah. Wish I wish she'd do more comedic roles because she's got the chops. She could absolutely mm-hmm. do it. And I yeah. think I think the fact that Dawson's Creek was at the height of popularity at this time, and she did this like weird teen Watergate movie and just still killed it. Just speaks volumes for her talent. I love, I love, love, Mm -hmm. love her. So I have to admit, I've never seen Dawson's Creek. Shut up. Just not into it. Not my cup of tea. Didn't. I mean, obviously. I mean, I haven't watched it. Don't try to watch it. Don't try it. It's. It's, I have no no. desire. Oh wait, no. My crush was my crush was James Vanderbeek. That was my crush. Okay, that's a good one. Yeah, that's a good one. Although Joshua Jackson. mm. See, everyone was always into him, but look at look at James Vanderbeek now. Hello. Mm-hmm. Has anyone seen yeah, him? Have recently? you seen Joshua Jackson recently in those bedroom eyes? Mm. Have you seen John's Vanderbick's chest? <laughs> no, no, I liked him on the B in Apartment 23. Don't trust I, the B. Yeah. Oh my yeah. God, don't trust the Vanderbeek. Yeah. I think so, that was the last thing I saw of Vanderbeek in. Did I ever tell you guys my weird thing with Dawson's Creek? No. no. Okay. So I was a weird child, or at least I thought I was. And at Sometime in like seventh grade, which is when Dawson's Creek started, I thought that I didn't have diverse enough facial expressions. I found myself just having the same reaction. Such a weird criticism for yourself. Like, <laughs> God damn it, why can't my face be more diversely expressive? You it's have happy and sad, and that's it. Ah, <laughs> it's weird up here. Okay, it's a, just a, it's a constant battle. So I decided I was like, I don't have I don't have diverse enough facial expressions, and so starting with Dawson's Creek. I would start mimicking what the actors were doing. And oh, you like sound the, like a lunatic. What, I am a lunatic. And I love you. Actually, to, I get it. I actually, to, I get it, Ashley. Yeah, to like learn more things. <laughs> to this day, if I am watching TV and I am really into it, you will see me doing that. So if we ever watch TV or a movie together that's really engrossing, you will see me mimicking. I think oh, it's also t- part of my, like, I'm a person who will have conversations in my head, but gesture and, like, tilt my head and stuff to the point where we'll be going on walks and I'll just kind of be doing it and not realizing it. And Bob goes, are you talking to yourself again? So mm-hmm. like, are you having a pretend conversation? I go, yeah. 
<laughs> Actually, all the time. You and I are kindred spirits in that. I talk to myself constantly. I, mean, I talk to the you know. I talk to the animals. Like yeah. I'll have conversations and provide their part of the conversation. I mean, I talk to Phoebe, but it's really just me talking to myself. Like, <laughs> yeah. Let's pivot briefly to the like Dan Hedaya playing yes. Richard Nixon, which is a bit of a I kind of got strange choice because he wasn't a huge name, and he doesn't really. I guess he kind of looks like him, maybe a bit, but I buy it. But yeah. I buy it. But I, you, it's just a, a an interesting choice because he's not this super comedic actor. He's pretty varied. I mean, he was in the first Wives Club. Hello. Love, love, love. Yes. He was in Clueless. He was in Clueless. Was Clueless before this or after? It was before. Before, right? So, yeah, I thought he was great in Clueless. He was, yeah, great. And then, like, the comedy stuff, and I was like, okay. Yeah. Oh, and and he was in Adam's Family. Uh, Oh, my God. He is. So, I'm wrong. He is a comedic actor. (laughs) He actually, he can do it all. He can do it all. But I feel like he also plays a little bit more of the straight man. Like, he gets the jokes in, but he's not the, you know, he's not a Will Ferrell. He's not any of those others. But you need the straight man or the straight person to play off against. Because if everything was just constant, like, quips and jabs and whatever else, like, you need to have a different beat. Yeah, to your point, if he was too goofy, it wouldn't be believable. Yeah, yeah. And you had to dislike him. Yeah, you had to not trust him. You didn't want to to laugh with him. You wanted to laugh at him, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I just think it's an underrated performance. I think he's wonderful in it. I agree. Quick note about the soundtrack. It's baller. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. I, w- I love this I, I owned this soundtrack. Oh, my God. Yeah. You did loved not. it. Yes, you did. I did. I, I thought it was great. I I still listen to Lydia Marmalade all the time. <laughs> I love that song. There's just, I think they really used music very well in this movie. Yeah. I love, I think the ending with You're So Vain is mm-hmm. just so oh, perfect. So the song is perfect. Originally, they were going to use some Led Zeppelin song, but they used it and they said this just isn't hitting the notes that we wanted to hit. So then they tried it with You're So Vain and it, they're like, that's it. That's the ending. Uh, I think Andrew said it gave him like goosebumps listening to it. It kind of gave me goosebumps listening mm-hmm. to it. Yeah, it felt it felt perfect, and I kept noticing that the music was complimentary but loud, so it didn't. You know, I was excited to hear it, but it didn't take me out of the moment of the movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was also like, James Gunn mind this for Guardians. Oh, <laughs> because there's a few like songs from that yeah. that yeah. James wound up using in Guardians. But the one song that did pull me out was they use Louie, which I love, but it reminds me of the theme song for Louis C.K. show. And I'm like, oh, man. And then I fuck that guy. Yeah, fuck that guy. So they originally wanted a song by Captain and Tennille in Mm -hmm. the movie. And did you know that they're super conservative? No. No. They said, absolutely not. We don't agree with this movie. Oh, my God. They refused to give them their music. So I just didn't realize that they were super conservative. So, you know, fuck them. But like, we love I, Dick, okay? We, we love Dick. We will not Dick. let you disrespect yeah. Dick this way. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, I, I think all the, the rest of the music just, as you said, fits so well in the movie. But um, this this did come out at, at a huge time for teen film. I think it really sparked in 95 with Clueless and 96 with Scream. Yeah. You know, those big hits, but really like the late, late nineties had <laughs> just a slew of them in early two mm-hmm. thousands. It kind of began with she's all that in January of that year, yeah. making like $63 million. And everyone yeah. thought, what? Okay. Uh, and then it almost seemed like every week 
there was a new teen-centered film that was coming out. Mm-hmm. And also the, the rise of the WB and, and Dawson's oh my God, Creek yes. and all of this. So it this was like... It was a fun time to be a teenager because everything was being marketed towards us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah right? in ways I, that it hadn't necessarily been marketed to us in the past, which is, in one way, you're like, ooh, there are all these things, right? And then now, as an adult, I'm also like, ooh, capitalism, fuck you. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. but it was, it was great to have things that, like, there was all this media we could consume that was geared towards us. I remember, like, all my magazine subscriptions, like... YM and Seventeen <laughs> and like Teen Vogue later or no it used to be called like Vogue Girl or something that was defunct mm. and then it became Teen Vogue or whatever I mean guys I can't remember everything but yeah. I can't remember hardly anything but yeah. yeah there were so many films and I feel like this too there was both the just like fun teen comedy and then there was a lot of teen horror yeah. and they were kind of happening mm. at the same time and an occasional teen drama too mm. yeah yeah like a walk to remember or varsity oh, yeah. blues here on earth varsity blues but it was also the What's people the that we julia were... styles as a dancer say the last dance but it was also also she wasn't that all... good of a dancer she wasn't <laughs> so she terrible. wasn't if you rewatch you're like this is what okay or cruel intentions yeah so it was oh all God, these people all these people that were hits on tv that were getting these big movies you know james vanderbeek with varsity blues sarah michelle geller with cruel intentions mm-hmm. and and it was always these adult stories that were adapted for teenagers mm-hmm. right yeah cruel intentions is an example of that too it's so funny you know when i look back at these period of movies and i granted i i do look more towards the the horror ones i'm like yay the faculty or yeah. you know oh, yes. i know what you did last summer or yes yes things like that but i love all of these she's all that or i know saved came a little bit later but like those saved. those mm-hmm. yeah 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 that whatever it so takes <clears throat> yeah those those teen i love had, like vitamin c all the time get that? over it get over it yes get over it with kirsten, kirsten dunst, dunst and ben foster, ben foster <laughs> and mila kunis and cisco oh my god that is such a which began with time. a captain and Tennille song mm-hmm. you full circle. vitamin c lip-syncing captain and Tennille at the yep. beginning of that movie very odd <laughs> but yeah i could i so could watch fun, any of those if if i'm there's there's times where I will go through a period where I'm like, I want something to feel good. And so I will put on any of those movies from that time period. I want like something of that from that time period. And it always makes me feel good. And it's always fun for me to watch. I, I love the whole thing. Mm-hmm. The ones that don't look I, at them too critically. Like when we no. watch Can't Hardly oh, Wait, sure. and we were like, ooh. Oh, I recently yeah. rewatched that. What a fucked up movie that is. Yeah. yeah. I, lo- I say the I F word love that movie. way too much in that movie. <laughs> Yes. The oh. gay, the gay yeah. F word. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's for, but I think also because we were driving at that time and we, we had our friends and we would go to the movies together. I would always have these great experiences going to see some of these movies with them. Like I remember when we, when we went to see She's All That, we had, it was a sold out show and everyone was like freaking out and mm-hmm. laughing and hooting and <laughs> hollering during it. Bring It On was a fucking event <laughs> when it came <laughs> out. I remember I went opening night and wow. it was a sold out show the only seats we could get were in the very front row and it was just this huge deal to see bring it on oh what a great movie do Here's you remember do you remember going to movies as a group and like yeah. being so strategic about like if it was you know if it was like mixed boys and girls and 
most of my friends at that time were straight. And so then there was all that tension of like, who are you going to sit, sit next with? to? Or like, yeah. how are we going to just plan this, but make it look like it happened? Yeah, I remember... You know, I liked going to the movies with my friends. You know, you have those memories of the exact movie theaters that you would go to. And our movie theater, which is now, it, it was demolished. And then they built a new underground one, which sucks. But it was a two-screen movie theater with sticky floors. And, like, the seats would go, like, creak. And the walls were covered in shag carpet. Oh. And... It was it was great. Love it was it. a great movie theater. Great but I love I love going to the movies around this yeah, time. Yeah, I think... In, and I'm 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 so separate because I I don't know a lot of teenagers, but yeah. it seems like a, this year removed from from what's been going on in cinema, there hasn't been a, a ton of teen centered films I, I believe that have been released that have been huge hits. It's almost yeah. like people are it's being sent directly to to streaming. Mm-hmm. So I'm just wondering what kind of experience kids, for lack of a better term, are having kids these with. Days with media whereas it's it's less of this communal experience almost i'm just i mean i i don't have an answer so, to this but i'm just curious i wouldn't say that it's less communal i mean keeping in mind that like i although i work in education i haven't worked directly with students in mm. in t- in way too long i think it's a different kind of community than what we are mm. used to it is from my very like taken aback point teens are experiencing and interacting with media in a way that we never did or could have, but it's, it's really creating things kind of differently. So, you know, not to say that there aren't films that kids like talk about or connect on. I think we're also really in a golden age of television. And so Mm. I know I've said that before and I sound like a broken record. A record is pressed wax. (laughs) (laughs) You know, for all our young listeners out there. But I think really like, you know, when we talk about things like TikTok and right as we were getting out of college was like the beginning of the rise, like the start and thus rise of YouTube. And so it's just it's community in a different way, Mm, maybe not in such a big whole group, but, you know, you're individually connecting on different things. Like even my students eight years ago would ask me for books and they'd be like, do you have something that I blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, who's that? They're like, they're a YouTube star. Like oh, this is how I know I'm old because I haven't kept up. But it's interesting, like how do we coordinate with like three people, three or more people? Like, like okay, I'm gonna invite you on name. I'm gonna call you. We have to. You have to be there at this time. You all have to be on time, or else we can't get into the movie. Yeah, or like the tickets might be sold out because you couldn't buy them ahead of time, and there weren't assigned seats. You had to make sure you could get enough together. And I was the one who was a little older than everyone else who could drive to the theater, buy the tickets first. Mm-hmm. Everyone had to pay me back. And I'm like, all right. <laughs> back when everyone still used cash. Yes. Crazy. So I went to the movies on a date once. And he was he was a year old. He was like, he must have been like 15 and I was like 14 or something. And we wanted to see House on Haunted Hill. The It was like ni- the 1999 one or whenever that came out with Famke Jensen. And made 40, made $40 million. (laughs) (laughs) We really wanted to see that, but keep in mind, Graham just has this memorized, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but we couldn't, you know, we were both underage. We couldn't buy a ticket. So we bought a ticket to the Pokemon movie that was also in theaters at the same time. And then we snuck in to see. (gasps) You're so bad. I know. Oh my God. Sneaking into a movie was so like, we are so 
bad. I know. I remember it. <laughs> and like, 20 years and like, later, I remember. So. I was like, they're gonna catch us, and we're gonna get in so right? much trouble. And then I, and then I worked at a theater, and no one gave a shit. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, Wait, we bought something. Can I tell you guys what one of my favorite jokes is in this movie? And I think I heard no. it wrong. Okay. Oh God damn it! No, bring wait. it back to the movie. <laughs> when Whoops, this is a movie podcast. <laughs> when Terry Gar says you have your chocolate in my peanut butter, which I know mm-hmm. I guess is like a callback to an ad. I thought she said because she was laughing when she told the story and she's with her new boyfriend and she's got lipstick all over her mouth. I thought she said, you have your chocolate in my penis butter. No, she did. <laughs> she, she did. did. She did. Hi. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, because I was like, I thought God that's what her. she said. God bless. I thought there, I, I really wish there had been more of her. Carrie Gar is a gem. A I love, gem. I love Terry Gar so much. Like everything. She's, she's just brilliant. She's got, she's got one and a half minutes of screen time and just, oh. mm. It's too little. It's too okay, little. so I totally thought she said peanut butter, and the closed captioning said peanut butter. This is why we need well, maybe I'm just hearing closed captioning. Maybe I'm just hearing penis butter. I heard penis butter too, and you I was peanut, like, you, peanut, you had dick on the brain. Be, no, because well, then the, dick her mind? boyfriend dicks on my mind. Yeah. <laughs> Ted McGinley, who I who mm-hmm. I had a crush on back yeah. then. Did you really? He's, he's in tons of. He was in uh, Revenge of the Nerds. Yeah. He's in yeah. Married with Children. Married, right? married with Children. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was like, oh, it's Ted, because he corrects her, and he's like, and you have your chocolate in my peanut butter. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah. she definitely yeah. said penis butter. And I was like, yeah. yay. I was sad when he ended up being somebody who worked for the, the, the Richard Nixon. I know, I just <laughs> want Terry Gar to be happy. Did you, I mean, you, did you not see that right away? Yeah, we no, did, obviously. I know. I was like, obviously. <laughs> he, was, he was there to bug the house. Yeah. He put a lot of bugs in that house. <laughs> hopefully, not, hopefully not spiders. Um... <laughs> I'm talking about crabs, Graham. Oh, oh. <laughs> STDs. That flew over my oh. head. <laughs> Good lord. Well, uh, so wrapping up, Dick. Wrap up. Wrap up. Wrap up, wrap up the up dick. dick. Always wrap, wrap up. It, dick. Always wrap a dick when engaging in secu- um, sexual, sexu- sexual? <laughs> secular, sexual, secular, sexual. Just wrap it up, okay? Wrap it up, Katie. I, I'm guessing one and done with you. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, probably. Like if okay. I wa- if I want this kind of movie, I'll probably watch something else that is of that time. It was it was fun. I, yeah. I did not dislike it. I I got a good chuckle out of it. It was it was a fun watch, but I don't own it. It's not streaming anywhere unless you rent it, yeah. which is what it's I did. Hard to find. Yeah. yeah, so I probably wouldn't really go out of my way, but it was fun. I I enjoyed it. I respect that. Thank you. Mm-hmm. The one final point I'll make of this movie is a line at the end when that that really resonates today is when Arlene and Betsy are watching Dick resign mm-hmm. on TV. And then Betsy says, and they'll never lie to us again. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember being in the theater, everyone laughing so hard at that. And I was like, what? I don't understand. I don't get like, it. Yeah, they like, they will never lie to us ever, ever. Again. <laughs> Graham, where do you think Betsy and Arlene wound up? Oh, that's a great question. So uh, they, hello, they, would, they, they opened would, a roller disco. They opened a roller oh, disco. Oh, I meant, I meant like, well, they opened a roller disco in the 70s, but of course roller discos went the way of the dodo. So what do you think they're doing now? So they'd be like 60 by now. I feel like they're living in Sedona with some crystals. <gasps> and, oh, I would like that. And, yeah. and Arlene's been married like seven times. Oh, you're yeah. probably And she's okay right. with it. 
And Betsy has has never married because she's just like so free spirited and she yeah. does not care. Mm-hmm. But they're definitely with each other, and I'd like to think of that. I, I think, think you are. I feel the exact same way. That is a perfect assessment in my yes. head too. Yes, and wearing amazing clothes. Obviously. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Well, great! I'm so glad we could talk about literally so much. With, I mean, we talk about dick movie. so much. It's we nice to be about able dick. to talk about the and movie. And then breath, just about being death, teens. Girth. Breath, death, girth of dick. And <laughs> our teenage lives, which is so fun. So that was the, the end of the first in our politics. Uh, <laughs> 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 a series. And Katie... You're going to be hosting next week, yes. which uh, the Earth's Choice is, is quite interesting because it's it's a bit related to this movie. Yeah, so I didn't pick this next movie because of the connection to Dick, but I just picked it because it's a fucking great movie. But we will be staying with the Watergate scandal with the 1976 political thriller All the President's Men, mm. which stars Dustin Hoffman and Robert Redford, and I love this era for both of them. This is like peak Redford and Hoffman era for me, Mm. so I'm gonna be very excited to talk about not only this movie, but all the reasons that I love them from this time period, because I don't continue that love through the 80s and 90s as much. But yeah, we're gonna get kind of more of the serious side of the Watergate scandal, a bit more of Bernstein and Woodward, so I hope y'all excited. Ashley, have you seen it? No, I am the one who is not. Surprisingly, yeah, I'm is, kind of like, oh yeah, I haven't this seen is this. This is a this is a an amazing movie. Yes, and I think I, I think it's so funny that we're doing it after we watch Dick because Dick was called Clueless meets All the President's <laughs> Men. So I, I'm so excited. Jason Robards is in it too. So great. So that is awesome. Very excited to talk about that with y'all next week. Hopefully, the nation is still standing after. This. God, I hope so. I hope we're talking to you from a. I hope you're listening to us from a okay place. If not, we will persevere. Yes. <laughs> so, y'all, so thank you again. So fun. And we will see you next week. Next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Let Me Introduce You is a podcast hosted by Graham Veth, Katie Kubert, and Ashley Crone. Music by Kevin McLeod. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 License. Make sure to follow the Let Me Introduce You podcast on Instagram at Let Me Intro You Pod and on Twitter at Let Me Intro You.